0: Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, it's good to be back. Isn't it good to be back? How many of you are excited? to be back in church hey it is so isn't it weird to come to church with pants on isn't that strange I just want to know I want you to know that I am so excited to be preaching to a congregation and not just to a camera and it's great to be in person but for those of you who are online we want to say welcome welcome we love you we've been praying for you and if you could go ahead and do me a favor if you're watching online could you go ahead and click the share button hey if If you're in the room right now, go ahead, pull out your phone, go to our Facebook page, click the share button because I believe that today is a message that everybody needs to hear because today is gonna be a great message because everybody loves a good wedding. How many of you love a good wedding? Don't you just love a great wedding? There's something inside all of us that longs and loves a great wedding. And today, we're going to look at their wedding day. Solomon and the Shulamite woman, today they are going to get married. The other day I was tucking my daughter Esther's son into bed and me and Ashley, we said our goodnight prayers, we kissed her on the head and then afterwards she said, Daddy, when I grow up, I want to marry you. And I said, oh, that's so sweet. Baby, you can't marry me though because that's nasty. (laughs) But here's what I did tell her. I said that when you grow up, You're going to meet a man who's going to love you just as much as your daddy does. And you're going to be his wife. And y'all are going to have an amazing wedding. And y'all are going to have an amazing family. And then after that, I immediately bought a gun. So either way... (laughs) We all love a good wedding, and today we're going to see their wedding day. But not just their wedding day. We're going to see three things today. We're going to see their wedding day, and I'm going to give you some tips to be able to prepare for a great wedding, and then we're going to see their wedding night. hey <laughs> And then we're gonna see the wedding gift. And just to let you know, it's not a toaster, it's sex. That's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about sex, that's the wedding gift, okay? So just wanna go ahead and prepare yourself for that. I wanna honor all the dads, all the dads in the room, all the dads in the room. Hey, if you're here and you're with your family, you made the single best decision you could ever make for your family, and that is to be in a church. So thank you so much for that. If you're here with your wife, go ahead, Put. Put your arm around them. Remember the wedding day. Give them a little snuggle, not too much. Save the rest of Song of Solomon for later. <laughs> And if you're here with your children, send them to Redemption Kids, because we're going to be talking about the wedding day, the wedding night, and the wedding gift. The sermon title today is called On the Day of His Wedding. They are going to the chapel, and they're going to get married. If you have your Bible, Song of Solomon, chapter 3, starting in verse 5, here's what we see. What is that? She speaks. It's her wedding day. She speaks, what is that coming up out of the wilderness like columns of smoke? It's Solomon, he's coming. And she says, there is columns of smoke. What is Solomon doing? Is he ripping his vape? No, 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 that's not what he's doing. It's their wedding day. It's actually something really beautiful. It says that he is perfumed with myrrh and frankincense with all the powders of a merchant. Now, just like in our day, in that day, true love was rare. But the only thing that was more rare than true love was taking a bath. And she says, ooh, Solomon looks good and he smells nice. All the powders of a merchant. And around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and experts at war each with a sword at his thigh guarding against terror by night ladies how would you like that to be the groomsman how that's that's the groomsman this is the bridal party y'all thought that Groomsmen and bridesmaids were just so you look good in photographs. Nope, that's actually in the Bible. They're getting married. There is the groomsmen. We're going to meet the daughters of Jerusalem. Those are the bridesmaids. The wedding is big, it's beautiful, it's fantastic. And then here we see in verse 9 King Solomon made himself a carriage of the wood from Lebanon. He made a carriage for them. A lot of the women are thinking, He made her a carriage. My husband can't even make the bed. But he made a carriage. He made its posts of silver. They don't elbow him. This is, okay, we'll just be the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Back of gold, the seat of purple, its interior was inlaid with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go out, O daughters of Zion. Look upon King Solomon with the crown on which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. One of the greatest privileges that I have as a pastor is to be able to perform weddings. There's just something amazing and beautiful about weddings. I love being able to preach the Bible. I love seeing baptisms. I love baby dedications. And right now I'm praying for baptisms in our church. And at the end of Song of Solomon, I'm praying for some baby dedications too. But one thing that I love most is I love weddings. And as a pastor, I've done dozens of weddings for couples in our church. And I've done weddings pretty much anywhere you can imagine. I've done weddings in in churches, I've done them in cathedrals, I've done them in warehouses, I've done them in backyards, I've done them in barns, I've done them in bars. I have done a wedding pretty much anywhere you can think, whether it's, you know, o- older couples, renewal of wedding vows. I've also done young couples. I mean, we have done amazing weddings. But after all of that, here's what I've discovered. It doesn't matter where you get married. When you reread this, this is a pretty pretty incredible wedding day. But what I've discovered is that it doesn't matter where you get married, whether it's in a church or a courthouse, a barn or a bar, what really matters is who you marry. It doesn't matter where you marry. It really matters who you marry. And here's what I've seen so often is that so many young couples spend so much time planning for their wedding day, but they don't prepare for their marriage. You wanna have a great wedding, but you wanna have an even better marriage. A lot of people put a lot of planning in their wedding day, a lot of undue stress on their wedding day. It's a good day. It's supposed to be a very significant day in your life. Hire a photographer, it's gonna go by really fast. You're not gonna remember it, but there's a lot of pressure. I mean, what do we do? We gotta find the right venue. We gotta find the right place. We gotta get the guest list. Do we have too many people? We gotta take some people off. They're not coming to the wedding. Hey, that's my mom. She's coming to this wedding. You say, "Okay, okay, okay. Well, your mom can come, but your uncle Tony, he ain't coming cuz the last wedding I went to, he got drunk at the open bar before the wedding started and then his pants came off and I don't want that to happen at my wedding." Okay, Uncle Tony he can't come. But there's a lot of stress and pressure and frustration and anxiety when it comes to planning your wedding. Ladies, true or false? True. true? Yes, very true. And so What I will always encourage the couples in our church is this. You can ask any couple who's ever been married in our church. Here's what I always tell them. The the first day of the wedding is not the most important day of the marriage. The most important day is not the first day. The most important day is the last day. See, the goal is not to get married. That's what so many people think. I want to get married. I need to be married. I can't wait till I get married. The goal is not to get married. The goal is to stay married. The most important day is not the first day of your marriage. The most important day is the last. And many people, they plan for a wedding, but they don't prepare for a marriage. And what I want to help you do is I want to help you prepare for a better marriage. Because who you date now determines the future marriage that you have Later, and so let me give you a few tips from Song of Solomon to better help you prepare for a better marriage. The first thing we see is this: that better marriages are sacred. She says, "Who is that coming up out of the wilderness like columns of smoke?" What this references is the Book of Exodus as God is leading his people from the wilderness into the promised land. If you remember back to the story of Exodus, God would lead them with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And as they were going through the wilderness, they were trusting him, they were believing him, they were following him, and God was working in their lives to lead them into the promised land. What she's saying is this, is that this marriage is sacred because God has been working in our lives that he has been leading us through the wilderness years of being single, of the dating scene. He has been leading us through the wilderness years of finding one another, of our courtship and our engagement. And we've been trusting him. We've been following him. We've been doing it his way. And now on this day, it's a sacred moment because he has led us to this point. This is how you plan for a better marriage, because it is a sacred moment. So when it comes to who you're dating, I want to ask you this question. Is it sacred? Is God working in the relationship before the wedding day? Is God present? Is the manifest Shekinah glory presence of God with you on this day? And that's how you know you're ready for marriage because it is sacred. Are you trusting him? Are you believing him? Are you following him together? The second thing is this, better marriages have support. There are 60 soldiers with swords by their side. And then the daughters of Jerusalem, they have blessed them with love. What is that? That is support. These are the bridesmaids and the groomsmen. They are supporting their relationship. In that day, what happens when a young man would get engaged the entire community would bring him under their wing and they would train him. They would teach him what it means to be a man. They would teach him what it means to be a husband and a father and they would prepare him, not for the wedding day, but they would prepare him for manhood and they would prepare him for marriage. We don't have that in our culture anymore. Nobody knows when they become a man. Is it whenever I get my driver's license? Is it whenever I can vote? Is it whenever I can buy beer? Is it whenever I get married? Nobody knows. That's why we We got so many boys in their 30s with Peter Pan syndrome because nobody took them under the wing to teach them how to become a man. In Jewish culture, what would happen is the men of the community, the the friends, the family, the faith community, they would gather the man and they would protect him with swords and they would support him. They'd say, hey, what are you doing? What are you looking at? Okay. How are you living your life? How are you talking and treating this woman? And they would teach and train and they would prepare him. They were supporting. But the women would do the same thing. The women would actually come alongside and they would begin fasting for her. And they would be praying over her. They would be blessing her. They would be encouraging her, not only preparing her, but they would be supporting her. Better marriages have the support of a local church. Better marriages have the support of friends and family. Better marriages have the support of their community around them. Listen, if you're dating someone and the friends and family and your church community, if they're like, hey, that's a great relationship, they're amazing, you guys are incredible, hey, we we, we support this relationship, hey, come on over here, let's have a talk, let's have a conversation, let's have some accountability, if that's what your relationship has now, that's a good relationship. But if your friends are like, hey, we need to talk because I don't think this is good for you. Hey, I don't like what you're doing. You're putting yourself in some really tempting situations and places. We need to have a conversation about some accountability. Then you also need to listen to them because here's what I always say. Love is blind, but I would also add that love is dumb and deaf (laughs) because whenever you're in love, you don't listen to what other people say. And, and and you don't see what other people see. And you're dumb because you don't listen to what other people have to say. Because love can be blind, but love can also be deaf and dumb. I've seen so many times young people get in relationships that they had no business being in. And then when their friends and their family were worried about them, then all of a sudden they're like, hey, who are you to judge me? You don't speak into my life. You don't have anything to say to me. And then they dip out on their church and their community group. They stop reading their Bible. They're no longer on their serve team and they have no accountability and they submit under no authority and they put themselves in a really bad position because they don't have the support of their friends and their family. Listen, if you have good friends and they're telling you that they're worried about this relationship, you need to listen to them. So many people, they go into marriage and they think, well, I'm just going to close my eyes, cross my fingers, and hope for the best. Your friends don't want to hope for the best. Your friends want the best for you. On, and so you need to listen to them because there is support. And then the next one is this. Better marriages, they take sacrifice. It says... And his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding. This is the pattern that we see throughout the Bible to prepare somebody for marriage. In the book of Genesis, it says that a man will leave his mother and father and be united with his wife, and the two will become one. This is how God has designed marriage to be. Men, you move out of your mama's house, and then you meet a woman, and then you propose, you get married, and then the two become one. This is the same thing that Genesis teaches, Jesus teaches. The apostle Paul teaches in Ephesians 5, and here we see in the book Song of Solomon, he is doing the same thing, that he is leaving his mother and his father, and he is being united with his wife and they're entering into what we know as a covenant. This is the big difference between Christian marriages and non-Christian marriages, that Christian marriages are covenantal. Non-Christian marriages, well, they are contractual. A contract is something that two people enter into based upon an exchange of goods and services. You do this for me, I'll do this for you, and as long as I'm happy with the service and the product that you're giving me, well, then everything's gonna be fine, but the moment I'm unhappy, the moment I'm unsatisfied, Well, I'm going to go and look for another product or service to be able to meet my need. It's the same thing we do with cell phones or cars or any sort of business transaction. And contracts work great in business, but they're terrible for marriages. See, as Christians, we don't think or operate based upon a contractual agreement, but rather we base our decisions and our marriages off of what is known as a covenant. In the Bible, the word covenant appears some 300 times. It's a mega theme throughout all of the scripture. And it's this word right here in the Hebrew, the Hased. It is the never ending, the always and forever love. It is the unbreakable promise. It is the loving kindness. That is the covenant. And there is nothing more sacred, supportive, or sacrificial that a person could ever do than enter into a covenant with another person. It is the most holy Of vows. In fact, it's the same way that God enters into relationship with us. That God enters into relationship with us through a covenant. It starts all the way back in Genesis. God enters into a covenant with Adam and Eve. After they sin, then God said, I will send one who will crush the head of the serpent and he will forgive you of your sins. And then he killed an animal. He made a sacrifice and then the covenant was ensured. He does the same thing with Noah. I will never destroy the world with the flood. And then there is a sacrifice and the covenant is secure. And then he does the same thing with Abraham. You'll be a father of many nations. He does the same thing with Moses. You will be a priesthood to the world. He does the same thing with David, that from your lineage will come one, the kingdom that never ends. And then he performs all of this through a covenant sacrifice. Jesus comes along and who is Jesus? He is our new covenant and he gives his life for us that Jesus, just like Solomon leaving his mother, left his father in heaven, enters into this world. He lives the perfect life, the life we never could live. He dies the painful death, the death in our place. He lovingly, humbly, sacrificially gave himself up for us so that we might be in relationship with him. And through his shedding of blood, the sacrifice seals the covenant. And so when you are getting ready for marriage, you have to ask this question am I willing to make that kind of sacrifice yes. because if you're not you're not ready to get married That's right. because marriage takes sacrifice the number one reason for divorce in America lack of commitment that either one or both people were unwilling to make the sacrifice to love one another the way that Jesus loves us, to humbly, selflessly give themselves up, their wants and needs for the better of the other person. Marriage takes sacrifice. So let me ask you this question. Are you prepared to make that kind of sacrifice? If not, then you don't need a plan for a wedding because you're not prepared for marriage. Better marriages are sacred, better marriages are supportive, and better marriages are sacrificial. Listen, the most important day is not the first day. The first day is great, but I've met a lot of people who would rather get, married, get have a wedding than stay married. You don't, It's not the first day that counts. It's the last day that counts. It's not how it begins. It's how it ends. And the goal is not to get married. The goal is to stay married. Better marriages are sacred, supportive, and sacrificial, which leads us to the next point. We've seen their wedding day. Oh, it was a good wedding day. I mean, 60 soldiers with swords by their side. He took a bath. It was a good day. <laughs> it was a good day. But now it's time for us to see their wedding nights. So first they were going to the chapel, and they're going to get married, and now they're at the hotel, motel, Holiday Inn. Here's what we see here. He speaks first. I want you to notice she did all the talking on the wedding day <laughs> he's doing all the talking on the wedding nights <laughs> she was prepared for the wedding day he was prepared for the wedding nights it's the wedding night here's what we see behold you are beautiful my love behold you are beautiful he's given her the best lines listen to this your eyes are doves Aw, isn't that sweet Your eyes are doves behind your veil. It's their honeymoon. She has her veil on. He's looking at her. Men, this is why ladies say, I'm up here. He's looking her in the eyes. He starts with the eyes and then he begins to work his way down. Here's what he says. Your hair is like a flock of goats (laughs) leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Now this one needs a little interpretation. Guys, don't try this at home. Don't go home and be like, baby, you look like a goat. Bah, don't do that. Because that's bad. Don't do that. But here's what, here's what it does to me, okay? You'll understand this. In Jewish custom, uh, the women would often wear their hair up in a bun or a top knot or that little thing that you do. I don't know how you do that, but you wear your hair up. On the wedding night, she took her hair down. It's that thing right there. That's what it is. That's what she did. Oh, baby, look like a goat coming down the mountain. There you go. That's what that was. I don't know what it is, but whatever Ashley does this, I'm like, baby, I'm yours. I'm yours. You can have whatever you want. It's a kryptonite for the man. OK. This one's my favorite. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from their washing. She'd brushed her teeth, all of which bear twins and not one of them has lost its so young. <laughs> She's got all of her teeth. Praise the Lord for her. She's got all of her teeth. Hey, this is a major accomplishment 3,000 years ago. She has all of her teeth. She smells, oh, thank God she's got her teeth. Okay, this tells us two things about her. Number one, she doesn't play hockey. And number two, she ain't from Bunum. That's what it tells us. So, your lips are like scarlet thread. Don't you love the Bible? And your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like a Tower of David. She has a huge neck (laughs) built in rows of stone, and on it hang a thousand shields, all of them the shields of warriors. He says, baby, you got a huge neck, and I love that huge neck because I can put a lot of jewelry around that neck. But this is actually really beautiful. In that day, women weren't seen as equal or treated with respect, but yet here, by saying that she has a neck like the Tower of David, she is confident, she is strong, she is secure, and he honors her. The Bible honors women. As our equals, as our sisters, the Bible honors women. Unlike other books from this time period, the Bible is honoring of the women. And Solomon is speaking to his bride. And he says, you are strong, you are confident, you are secure in yourself. He goes on and he says, your breasts two breasts. (laughs) I'm glad it specifies. (laughs) Your two breasts are like two fawns. Baby deer. The twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Now, men, this one's for you. He says, your breasts are like baby deer. Now, listen, let's say you're out hunting or maybe on a nature walk or maybe you're just kind of walking through the woods or something, and you happen to come across two baby deer. What do you do? You're quiet. You're gentle. You watch. (laughs) You're tender. Here's what you don't do. Hey, baby deer! Ah! You don't do that, because if you do that, the baby deer will no longer be grazing among the lilies. They will be running for the hills. (laughs) You got to be gentle with the baby deer. (laughs) And all the ladies said, amen, amen. until the day breathes or the shadows flee, all night grab the Gatorade, get you some potassium. We're gonna be here for a while. We'll go all the way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. I don't know what that means, but if they're selling tickets, that's where I want to be. You are altogether my beautiful. You are altogether lovely. There is no flaw in you. Now, this verse is incredibly important. If you forget everything that I say today, please remember this verse. You are all. Altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Now, is that true? Is it true that she is perfect? There is no flaw in her physical appearance? Actually, that's not true because we already seen in Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 7, she says, I am dark. The cultural norm of that day was to be fair skin. She says, I am a rose of Sharon. That is a normal, ordinary flower. Nothing special, particular about her. That she is a lily among the valley. There are other women that are more beautiful than her. But he says, no, baby, you are beautiful. There is no flaw in you. Is he lying? No, because to him, she looks like her. And so she's perfect. Amen. To him, she looks like her, so she is perfect. Your spouse is your definition of perfection. This is why pornography and premarital sex is so devastating and damaging to marriages because what it does is it causes you to fill your mind and your imagination with people who are not your spouse and then you begin to compare your spouse to them. And listen to me, comparison is the the enemy to your intimacy. Comparison is the enemy to intimacy. If you're trying to compare your spouse to another person, you're gonna put expectations on your spouse that God never intended or created them to carry. Listen, when God gave you a spouse, that is your definition of perfection. See, for me, my definition of perfection is Ashley Jane Ellis. That's my definition of perfection. I want to be what Titus calls a one woman man. I want to be like Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes to only love and look for my wife. Because for me, Ashley Jane Ellis is the definition of perfection. If you go to the dictionary and you open it up and you go down the P's and you look for the word perfect right next to it, it's a picture of Ashley. Because for me, she is my definition of perfection. I do not want to compare her to other people because comparison is the enemy to intimacy in a relationship so let me explain how this kind of works your spouse is your definition of perfection okay whenever God gave Adam Eve he didn't ask for his input Okay, he wasn't like, Adam, what do you like? Do you like tall? Do you like short? Do you like curly hair? Do you like black, white, Asian? What do you like? No. Whenever God made Eve, he didn't consult Adam. He just brought her Eve. And compared to everything else, she was perfect. Okay, because here's the order of creation. God said, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. You need a helper. And Adam's like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> he said, but first, let me make the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea. And then God brought him, and he had to name him. He's like, is that her? No, that's an aardvark. (laughs) He's like, is that her? No, that's a giraffe. Well, do like long necks, but (laughs) is that her? That's a sea bass. No. And then he brought her a woman. He's like, I'll take her. I'll take her. That's what I want. Compared to the rest, she was perfect because there was no one to compare her to because she looked just like her. Your spouse is your definition of perfection and comparison will be the enemy of your intimacy. So here's how it works. If you're married to short, you like short. If you're married to tall, you like tall, right? If your spouse has curly hair, you love curly hair. If they straighten it, you like straight hair now. (laughs) 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 If you got married when you were 22, you were into 22, but now you're 52. You ain't into 22. Your definition of perfection changed. They updated that dictionary. You're into 52 now. Okay? If you like blondes and now they're gray, you like gray-headed grannies. That's your thing. That is your thing. You do not like young blondes. You like gray-headed grannies. If whatever you got married, they were skinny and now they're formerly skinny, you are into the artist formerly known as skinny. That's your thing. <laughs> If when you got married, they had a big, thick head of hair, and then all of his hair was raptured, and it moved down to his back, and now he's got enough back hair that makes him look like Chewbacca, then, baby, I am your Wookiee. That's your thing. Because comparison is the enemy. We're going Star Wars here comparison is the enemy to your intimacy he says my love there is no one like you my perfect one you have no flaw and everybody understands amen Moving on, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peaks of Amana, from the peaks of Sinir, from the peaks of Hermon. Say it fast, and people think you know what you're talking about. From the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. They're going on a safari. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. This is very important, especially for those of you who are single. He says, my sister, my bride. What does that mean? We already know he ain't from Bunis, so that's not what he's talking about. Here's what it means. That before she was ever his wife, she was, she was his friend. That she was his sister that she respected and he, he revered her. Now listen, for you young men, you need to treat every woman in this church like your sister. That's right, and for you women, you need to treat every brother in this church like your, your brother. Now question is, can you hang out with your sister? Yes. Yes. Can you spend some time with your sister? Yes. Can you have coffee? Can you laugh? Can you tell jokes with your sister? Yes. Can you touch your sister? Not this way. No. (laughs) Before they were married, they were friends. Work on the friendship right now and don't touch your sister. You have captivated my heart with one. Is it okay if we have fun in church? Can we have fun in church? Okay. (laughs) How much better is your love than wine? Your fragrance like oils, more so than any spice. Your lips are nectar. My bride, honey and milk are under your tongue. This ain't French kissing. This is Bible kissing. The French still all the good stuff. French toast, French Surprise, French kissing came from the Bible. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon, and here's where it gets good. I can't explain all of this to you because Ashley said don't. But you could read between the lines and buy our commentary. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. She is a virgin. She has stewarded her body. She has safeguarded the relationship. She has saved herself for her husband. And now it's their wedding nights, And they're about to be what God always intended from the garden, naked and without shame. And there is no shame in this. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all the choicest fruits of henna with nard, with nard and saffron, with calamus and cinnamon, with the trees of frankincense and myrrh and aloes with all of the choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water, and flowing streams of Lebanon. Woo. <laughs> Verse 16, awake, O north wind. The entire book of the Bible, she's been saying, do not awaken love. Do not awaken love. Do not awaken love. Now she says, awake, my love. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, and blow on my garden. Let its spices flow. She says, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choice fruits. Woo. He came to my garden, my sister, my bride. He says, I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Ooh. This is the word of the Lord. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you five tips for better sex. I want to give you the Bible's guide to better sex. Now, I can say this because when you go to the grocery store, every magazine says nine ways to blow his mind. Five things that she needs, right? Here's the best things you could do. And none of them involve reading the Bible and praying together or going to church, by the way. And so instead of trying it the world's way, let's see sex the way that God intended it to be. Because call me old-fashioned, but I believe that God's way is not only right, I also believe that God's way is best. And so we're going to see here five tips for better sex. So here's what we see first. Better sex is honoring. He says this to her. He says, your eyes are doves. You know what that is? He is honoring her. That that for him, the eyes are doves. What rabbis would teach is that the eyes are the windows of the soul. Before he ever touches her body, first he speaks life into her soul. He says, your eyes are doves. I am honoring you. I am valuing you. I see you, that you are made in the image and the likeness of God. And I see you for the way that God sees you. I value you. Better sex is honoring sex. He is speaking life into her. She is speaking life into him. They are honoring one another. Better sex is honoring. Honoring, And this is why sex in marriage is such a beautiful thing and why sex outside of marriage is such a devastating and harmful thing because you are not honoring one another because you are not honoring God. You cannot honor God while you are dishonoring someone else. But here we see that it is a honoring sex because they are married and he is looking into her heart. He is looking into her soul before he ever touches her body. Listen, most sex starts not in the bedroom, but before the bedroom, that you're speaking life into one another. You're honoring one another. That's where the best sex begins, honoring one another. And for those of you who are dating there, the the book of Hebrews says this, that the marriage bed will be held in honor. There is no boyfriend bed. Okay, there is no girlfriend bed. Okay, I've read the whole Bible. There is no, there is no, I met them at a bar one time bed. No, there is the marriage bed, which is to be held in honor because better sex is honoring sex. You want to honor one another. He, that's where he starts. But that's not where he ends. Better sex is honoring, which leads to number two. Better sex is tender. Look at the caress. Look at the gentleness. Look at the patience that he has with her. He says, your two breasts are like twin fawns, baby deer, the gazelle. But what he's doing is this, is he is being tender. He's being being kind. He's being patient. See, research shows that men can be ready for sex in seven seconds. That's all it takes. And you notice that men can turn anything into a sexual joke, right? I mean, anything. you are like, hey, babe, we need to get our oil changed. I'll change your oil, right? (laughs) You're like, like, hey, hey, babe, you know, uh, could you pass the salt and pepper? Hey, shoot, baby, shoot, I'll give you some salt and pepper, right? (laughs) But men, we need to be tender with our spouses, right? So men can be ready for sex in seven seconds. For the ladies, it takes a little bit longer than that. A lot bit longer than that. (laughs) And so what they say is this, men are microwaves, bing, women are crockpots. And so you got to set the crockpot and you got to let that stew for a while because if you just, you know, microwave things, it's going to be tough. But if you let it sit in the crockpot, it's going to be tender, All right, You got to, you got to wait. You got to be patient. First Corinthians 13, Paul says, love is patience. Love is kind, That's the way you want to love one another. You need to be tender together. In other words, you could say this, more play leads to foreplay, and foreplay leads to more play. You want to be tender with one another. Don't run in there expecting a score deal. No, you want to take time, you want to be patient, and you want to be tender with one another. The next thing is this, better sex is passionate. Just because it's tender doesn't mean it's vanilla. Right, because look at this, this is very passionate. They are very passionate with one another. I mean, they're going from the hills of frankincense to the valleys of incense, what is that? Hey, they're mixing it up, they're changing positions, right, they're, they're not doing, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's missionary position. They're having some fun, they're mixing it up. <sighs> is that okay? Yes. Is that embar- no, Okay. <laughs> I had to ask the wife's permission, okay. She's not going to be at the 11, so we'll see what happens. (laughs) They are very passionate with one another. But let me encourage you with this. Men, let me encourage you with this, that your wife knows what you're thinking. Okay, you may not be able to read her mind, but she can read yours. This is why porn is such a problem for men. Because if you go in and you're expecting your wife to do what you saw on the internet, she knows. She knows you didn't come up with that. She knows that after 12 years, you didn't just come up with this. You're not that creative. She knows you're trying to get her to bend into pretzels. She's not going to be like that because she knows where your mind's at. She doesn't want to do what all the other women did because she doesn't want to be compared to anybody else. And it's going to rob your passion. Just like I said, this comparison is the enemy to intimacy. Porn is the thief of passion in your marriage. You want to have passion in your marriage? Your spouse is the definition of perfection for you. Have eyes. He says that you have captivated my heart. He has given himself wholly and solely devoted to her, and she has given herself totally, solely devoted to him. There is no one else for them, and they are passionate with one another. And you read this and you think, man, that woman is passionate. How is she so passionate? It's because he has given herself to him. And so if you're reading this, men, and you're like, how can I get my my wife to do this, to come and blow on my garden? How can I get my wife to do this? Well, here's what I always tell you. You got to be the person the person you're looking for is looking for. And so if you want your wife to be more passionate, you got to be more passionate and protective over her. And this other thing is this, ladies, if you want your husband to be more passionate towards you, guess what you got to do? You got to become the person the person you're looking for is looking for. You need to be more passionate towards them. So here's what I'll tell you. You look better in satin than flannel. Throw that junk away. Be passionate with one another. You got to become the person. If you want to have a man like Solomon, you got to be the Shulamite woman. And if you want a lady like the Shulamite woman, you gotta be like Solomon. You gotta be passionate with one another. The next thing we see is this, better sex is secure. He says, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love, my love, my dove? There is no flaw in you. What is he doing? He is speaking into her and he is complimenting her. Men never say anything negative about your wife's body, especially when you are in bed. Ladies, don't say anything negative or criticizing about your man, especially when he's in bed. you got to speak into one another so that they feel confident, they feel safe, and so that way they feel secure. In this world, we get all sorts of messages about our identity, about our beauty, about our appearance, and about our looks. When it comes into the bedroom, those messages should not be there. The only message that should be there is this. You have captivated my heart, my sister. My bride, I want for you to feel secure. Better sex is built on a trust, a confidence, and a security within one another. Listen, that's what makes sex so special because in this world, there are very few places that you can truly be honest, vulnerable, and intimate except for in the arms of your spouse. You need to be a safe person, a safe person for your spouse. And you need to understand that better sex is secure, which leads to the fourth, or the fifth point, rather. Better sex is holy. She says, a garden locked, my sister my bride. He says, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. Better sex is holy. That word holy, it actually means to be set apart. It means something that is other. That word holy, it it means that it is sacred. It is unlike anything else. And God designed sex to be holy, to be set apart. This is why sex is reserved for marriage, because it is the distinguishing mark of a married relationship. This is what separates marriage from every other relationship or it should right? You shouldn't be out, you know, your friend, right? You don't want to have, that's not how it's supposed to work. The difference relationship between your boss or coworker very different when it comes to marriage. It is set apart. It is the distinguishing mark, and this is why it is reserved for marriage, because it is to be holy. Now, I know that when I say this, I'm not talking to 300 virgins in the room. I know that whenever I say this, some of you right now, you're thinking, yeah, I didn't do that. Some of you are thinking, mm, we didn't do it that way. You might be here with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you're like, don't say anything. We, 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 didn't, we, didn't, do, we didn't do it the right way. And maybe you're here and you're married. You've been married for a while and you're looking at Solomon and you're like, yeah, we, we, we didn't do it the right way. Or maybe you're here and because of a monster, you had your virginity taken from you, not because of anything that you've done and you feel unholy. You feel unclean. You feel unworthy. I know who I'm talking to. I know our church. I know our room. And I know that in this place, there can be guilt, shame, and condemnation. When we read verses like this, a garden locked, my sister, my bride, a sacred fountain, you think, I didn't do it that way. Well, the word holy actually has another meaning. Not only is it to be set apart, but it also means to be touched by God. And the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ in your life, you were touched by God, that he set you apart. We don't make ourselves holy. God makes us holy. And the moment you met Jesus, the blood of Jesus washed away all of your sins, that your past is gone; your future is wide open, that you have been touched by God and Jesus declares you holy. This is why Jesus says that there is no condemnation for those who are with me. This is why Jesus says the old is gone and the new is come. Paul says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. You don't make yourself holy, God makes you holy. And so better sex is holy because it is blessed and it is touched by God. I talk to premarital counseling all the time. And nine out of 10 of the couples I do premarital counseling are sexually active. Either they were sexually active with someone else before they were dating or while they were dating. And then I tell them this all the time. Your sex life is going to change. And they say, well, how is that? How is our sex life going to change? It's like, trust me, it will change like, but we've been having sex for years. And I say, yes, I know, but you've never had sex that was blessed by God. That's right. Because before that, your sex was not blessed by God. Your sex was a sin. And so God can't bless what you do in secret, and God can't bless what you do in sin. And so you've never had sex that was blessed by God. Come on, preach. Yeah. See, here's the deal, is you can either seek God together, or you can sin together, but you can't do both. This is why whenever I do premarital counseling, I ask couples, are you sleeping together? And they say yes. said, so are you praying together? They say no. Why not? Because you can't do both. The only thing that's more intimate than sex is prayer. That's right. And you can't honor God and sin together. You can't seek God and sin together. And they don't understand this because, well, they've never had sex that was blessed by God. But as Christians... What we understand is that sex is blessed by God only within marriage because that's what makes it holy. My pastor growing up, he would always say this, that sex is a form of prayer and it should be so good that you can speak in tongues while doing it. I grew up Pentecostal. (laughs) We did other things with our tongues too, but I grew up Pentecostal and that's what he said, that it's a form of prayer. And I never understood this until I began praying with my wife. And as I began praying and building a spiritual relationship, I began to experience a sexual relationship and intimacy with my wife that I never had before we were married. Because at this point, God has blessed our marriage, he blessed our wedding day, and he blessed our wedding night. But don't take my word for it. Actually, I want to read to you research research, there's a, there, there's a sociologist named Andrew Greeley out of the University of Chicago. Here's what we believe. God's way is not only the right way, God's way is the best way. And here's what Andrew Greeley, sociology professor out of the University of Chicago, he says that couples who pray together... You want to pray with your spouse. Couples who pray together, Christian couples, are twice as likely to describe their marriages as highly romantic. How many of you like romance? You want some romance? Okay, it starts by praying with your spouse. That's where romance begins. He goes on, he says, the report, they report considerably higher sexual satisfaction and greater sexual intimacy than those who do not pray together. He goes on, he writes, married couples who pray together are 90% more likely to find sex to be more fulfilling and Christian women are more orgasmic than non-Christian women. Why? Because it's blessed by God. Because it is holy. Because they have taken the time to see that sex is honoring, sex is tender, sex is passionate, sex is secure, and sex is holy. That God's way is not only the right way, but God's way is the best way. Listen, God is not trying to withhold anything from you. God is trying to protect you. God is trying to preserve you. God is trying to prepare you for the greatest amount of pleasure you will ever experience in your life. But you got to do it God's way. Because God's way is not only the right way, God's way is the best way. Which leads to number three. Because sex is the wedding gift. I told you it wasn't a toaster. It's better than a toaster because it's, it's the gift that comes from God. See, in churches, a lot of people, in the world, a lot of people think sex is, sex is their God. It's an idol that they worship and they surrender their bodies to. But the the church doesn't think that. But sometimes in the church, we have teachings like sex is gross. Sex is dirty, nasty, wrong, and so save it for when you're married. And then we give all these young people, we give them all these like mixed signals. They're like, don't do that. And then you're married, and then you're expected to do that. And you're like, I don't know what to do. Because... We haven't taught them that sex is actually a gift. It's actually a wedding gift. It is the wedding gift that God gives to be able to bless your marriage. Here's what it says in Song of Solomon 5.1. This is the first and only time that God speaks in the entire book of Song of Solomon. Here's what he says. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. God sees them on their wedding night and God blesses their marriage. God gives them a wedding gift, and the wedding gift that God gives is sex. I want you to look at this word right here. It's the word, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. I told you a few weeks ago that the Hebrew word for love has a lot of different meanings, but one meaning is the word dode. And what it means is a mingling of souls. See, the Bible doesn't think about love the way that we think about love. It doesn't think like, I love them, and I love this, and I love that, and oh, I love me, and then we fall out of love, and then we don't love anymore. No, that's not the way the Bible presents the picture of love. The Bible presents love in this word dode, which means a mingling of souls. That's why we say that sex is not physical. physical. Physical sex actually is spiritual. It is a mingling of your soul with your spouse. But there's another word here, and it's this word: drunk. Give it enough time, and science catches up with the Bible. This was written three thousand years ago, but modern research. In the last 20 years, due to MRIs and and neurology, what they've discovered is that during the act of lovemaking, certain chemicals are released in the brain, dopamine receptors and oxytocin, one of the most powerful and most addictive experiences a person can experience. During sex, two people become chemically bonded together. This is the same thing that the Bible taught 3,000 years ago. That's why God says, Be drunk with love, be intoxicated by the mingling of your souls together. See, God wants you to be able to enjoy sex, but he wants you to enjoy it a way where with your spouse, your souls become mingled together. Sex is one of the most powerful experiences that a person will ever have, and God wants you to enjoy it, but he wants you to enjoy it with your spouse. God says, eat friends, drink, be drunk with love, be intoxicated by the mingling of your souls together. And here's the good thing, is that whenever God gives a gift, it's the gift that keeps on giving. See, God's intention for sex was this, that every time you have sex with your spouse, what you're doing is this, you are reuniting the bond and the covenant that you made on your wedding day. That's exactly what you're doing. You are reuniting the bond. You are rekindling the love. You are remembering your covenant with one another. And every time you have sex with your spouse, what you're doing is you're entering back into that covenant with one another, saying, I give myself to you for better, for worse, in sickness and health, until death do we part. And every time, what you're doing is you're reentering your covenant agreement with your spouse. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And so what I want to do is I want to give you very briefly five gifts that God gives through sex. When it comes to giving gifts, me and Ashley are totally different. Okay, Ashley loves sentimental gifts. So i always just get my daughters to paint something on a picture. She's like, oh, this is so amazing. And then she hangs it on the wall and it's just up at their house, right? But me, I like more practical gifts, right? Ashley, she'll give me a pair of socks. I'm like, I can wear these every day, right? So sex is sentimental, but it's also very practical. (laughs) And so let me give you five things that, five gifts God gives through sex. The first thing is this, he gives a gift for oneness. This is what we see in Mark 10. This is what we see in the Bible, Mark 10, 6 through 9. It's it's the gift of oneness, that you become one flesh, that you are together. If you have decisions and things that you're walking through where you're not in agreement, through the gift of sex, there is the gift of oneness. It's also the gift of comfort. Second Samuel 20, 12, 24 that sometimes there's nothing you can say to actually comfort your spouse. Life is hard, life is difficult, and actions will speak louder than words. We see that it is a gift of comfort. It's the gift of knowledge. Genesis 4, 1, Adam knew his wife. The more you are intimate with your spouse, the more you will know them, their hopes, their wants, their dreams, their fears, their insecurities. And the more you're intimate with them, the more you're going to be able to encourage them because it is for the gift of knowledge. It's also for the gift of pr- protection. There is no excuse for sexual sin, but at the same time, God gives a way to prevent it from happening. And the more intimate you are with one another, the less temptation is gonna be in that marriage. And then we see it's also for pleasure. Song of Solomon 5.1, eat friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Children are never mentioned in Song of Solomon. But yet we see a lot of passion and we see a lot of pleasure. That's because God gives sex as a wedding gift. He wants for you to be able to enjoy it because it is blessed by God. And so you're thinking, Pastor Byron, how are you going to close a sermon like this? Well, I think James 1.22 is a good way. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, <laughs> lest you deceive yourself. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's not the real verse. Okay, here's the real verse. Revelation 19. The Bible opens with a wedding. And the Bible also closes with a wedding. In Genesis, the first wedding was between Adam and Eve, but they sinned, they fell, they rebelled, and they separated themselves from God, and the relationship was broken. The covenant was broken. The covenant with God, the covenant with one another was broken, and there was sin, and this is the reason why there is so much pain, heartache, and damage in our world today, because the covenant was broken. The first day is not the most important day. Revelation 19 is the last day. And the last day closes with a wedding. Here's what it says. And I heard a sound, the roar of the great multitude, like rushing mighty waters and mighty tumbling, rumbling of thunder, crying out. Very similar to who is this coming out of the wilderness with columns of smoke. Do you see that every wedding is a portrait of the great wedding? Here's what we see, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory with the gladness of his heart. The king is crowned, the king is coming for his bride, for the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Who's the bride? The church, you and me. If you put your hope and trust and faith in Jesus, you are the bride of Christ. You are the church and she was given clothing of fine linen with bright and pure for the fine linen she wears is the righteous acts of the saints is the church perfect no are you perfect no is there flaw in you yes are you a spring garden a fountain locked and secured no but Jesus was and Jesus was perfect where we were imperfect. There was no failure. There was no fault. There was no flaw in him because Jesus is the definition of perfection. And here's what happens when Jesus comes. You are touched by God. You are blessed by God. You are declared holy or righteous that he removes the garments of shame. He removes the sin and the guilt and the condemnation. He removes the pain. He removes the worst day of your life and he gives Gives you the best day he removes all of that shame and here's what he does he dresses you with robes of righteousness with robes of white the bride of christ always wears white yes. on the day of her wedding you have been declared righteous the blood of jesus has washed away all of your sins and when god sees you god sees the righteousness of god He goes on and he he tells us this. He says, blessed are those. You're blessed. You are blessed by God. You may not feel blessed, but you are blessed. You may not know that you're blessed, but you are blessed. You might come here today and nobody has ever blessed you before. I want you to know you are blessed. If you believe in Jesus, you are blessed. Here's what we see. He said to me, these are the true words of God. The world will lie to you. Satan will deceive you. The culture will try to trick you and trap you. But this is the true word of God. God's word is good. God's word is true. God will never fail you. God will never give up on you. God will never lie to you. His word is true. You're blessed. Then I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse and its rider was called Faithful and True. The doors of heaven are open. It's the great wedding day. Here comes Solomon, but it's not Solomon. It's someone greater than Solomon. It's someone wiser than Solomon. It's someone stronger than Solomon. It's a better king. It's a greater king. It is Jesus Christ, our King of Kings. He is there. He is standing. Solomon was only a symbol of what Jesus comes to do. The wedding day is only a symbol to prepare your hearts for the great marriage feast of the Lamb, to prepare your heart for the great wedding day when our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, returns. Every wedding is a portrait of the gospel. It goes on and says this, "'With righteousness he judges and he wages war. "'His eyes are blazing fire "'with many royal crowns on his head. "'He has a name written on him "'that only he himself knows. "'He is dressed in a robe, dripped in blood, "'and his name is the word of God, "'and armies of heaven dressed with fine linen, "'white and pure, follow him on white horses. "'Instead of groomsmen with 60 swords, "'there is an army of angels.'" That are watching over you, that are protecting you, that are keeping you supportive in your time here on the earth. There are angels that are watching over you. These are the groomsmen of the king. We go on and we read this. And from his mouth proceeds a sharp sword with which it, he will strike down the nations and he will rule over them with an iron scepter. He treads the wine breasts of the fury of the wrath of God and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh that says, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. This is our King. And redemption, one day our King will return. Yeah. The first day is not the most important day. You might be here and you might think, I messed up, I failed, I have not done these things. I want you to know the first day is not the most important day. The last day is what counts. Will you be with him on the last day? Will you be trusting, following him on the last day? Will you wear white on the last day? Will you be there on the day of his wedding? Will you be there on the day of his gladness of heart? The reason that we love weddings is because we long for the gospel. That's why you love a good wedding. That's why you love the bride and the groom. That's why you love the feast, the dancing, the celebrations. That's why you love a good wedding because it's a picture of the gospel. The reason you long for the gospel is because you long to be with him on that wedding day. On the day of his wedding, on the day of his gladness of heart, when our King returns, will you be with him? Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus.